Have you ever heard the expression, there's no there there? Well, let's ask the question, is there there there? That's our podcast from the full-service digital storytelling agency, Graphic Machine. I'm Matt Staub. I'm a partner here at Graphic Machine, here with the other two partners of Graphic Machine, Patience Jones. Hello. And Brian Jones. Hello. This week, episode 58, the qualified edition. So back in the day, maybe, you know, 50s and 60s, if you wanted a great agency, you would just go to a certain street or an address, and that was the way you qualified people. There were areas of town where it was a certain district. If you were there, that's what made you good and qualified you to be part of a conversation. In an increasingly virtual world and digital world where it may not matter as much, where your actual office is, it may not matter as much to have the traditional signs of prestige. How do we qualify ourselves and how do we qualify other businesses when we may not even know where they are? What's important to us now? All good questions. So yes. I would say the first thing I do when I want to qualify a business to say, what is this business all about? I don't know a lot about it is I go to their website. What do you actually look for as signs of qualification when you visit a company's website as a sign of their prestige and their qualification? And do you guys agree? Is that the first stop to qualify someone? For me, it's a couple of three things. Do they appear when I search for them? So I would say search engine is probably my first thing. Once I've done that, yes, the website if it has broken links, if things are not working, I may lose trust or may lose the belief that this is a quality place that I'd want to do business with. And you're right. Back in the day, it was, okay, where is the office located? And if they have a mailing address that I think is prestigious, like if it's on Park Avenue, if it's a law or financial firm, if it's on Madison Avenue, if it's an advertising agency, then I assume, oh, they're really big, they're really good, they're on Madison. Now, I don't know that most clients would be able to tell you the street that any of their vendors are on unless they're mailing a physical check. Same thing goes with like area codes. Do you have a 212 area code or do you have a 347 area code or do you use the 800 number and then I don't know where you are. Though we still have a 212 area code, right? Well, we kept the number. um, Because it was so prestigious or at least it kind of has that legacy. Well, it is prestigious also because we had clients, still have clients who've been clients for 15 years that's the number that they know. There's value in it, right? I mean, for better or worse. So do you think this is something that's going away with the times or it's just confining itself to certain industries? Because I think there still are certain industries, maybe where the specific address doesn't matter, but the digs matter. I feel like law is still where you have to have the fancy office and counterintuitively... You know, the, you see all this like $5,000 a tile granite flooring and then you're like, why am I paying so much? For- <laughs> well, I think we still have sort of biases against certain products getting made in certain states. The old barbecue commercial about barbecue from New Jersey. New York City. Exactly. Uh, they had to change <laughs> it. After- not- <laughs> that was paste picante sauce. Yeah. Whatever. Nice. The idea was that we have certain things that we associate with places. Breaking that is part of it, whether or not the place that you are has broken through in a new way that maybe people hadn't considered it before. But I look at the traditional things that we used to hold on to, like a particular location, particular part of town, as really being pretty unimportant. If people feel like any other touch that they have with you is somehow less than stellar, then they're not going to care that you have a Madison Avenue address. And with Google Maps... And Street View, it's now really easy to look and see, oh, that address is actually a mailboxes, etc. <laughs> yeah, or a person's you house. Know, right, exactly. Yeah. Or there's no building there. That was not something that was easily discoverable previously. 5201 and a half yeah. B. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or these, you know, there are a lot of co-location, co-working spaces right. that lawyers use that are on places like Park Avenue 
pre-internet, you wouldn't have known that that attorney was sharing a co-working space with 16 other law firms. You would think, oh, this person's really successful because they have Park Avenue address. Well, let's turn this around a little bit. What are products or services, maybe you can come up with a couple that we still have maybe some more traditional ways of looking at them. Probably food service, maybe one. I don't know. In what way? Well, in terms of shopping for food, maybe we would pick one part of town over another. Maybe we would uh, pick, you know. The city over the suburbs, for instance, exactly. for the most yeah. bourgeois food. Well, I think from my perspective, the idea of Madison Avenue might be dead, but I don't think the idea of sort of creative metropolitan areas are dead or urban versus suburban. At least for me personally, I think if I see a creative agency that's in uh, Kansas City and Austin, a Los Angeles and New York, and I'm going to assume that they have attracted better talent than one in Murfreesboro, you know, just because of the <laughs> types of people those places attract. Let's play this game. Okay. Even if you didn't know the address, do you think that that shows through through other points? You meaning, would I be able to tell if I wouldn't have otherwise known from the quality or the nature of the work that they did? Yeah. Not always. I think there's probably great exceptional agencies in the middle of nowhere, places I've never heard of, really creative people that just are there for whatever reason. But I think when you're trying to build an institution and attract talent, you give yourself that much more of an impediment. I don't think you guys would have moved the company here if you didn't know Kansas City was on the up as a creative and artistic community. It would have been too difficult. Do you think that it matters maybe more for employees than it maybe matters for getting the work done? Because so much of our communication with clients and often with many professional services, you never actually physically interact with them or don't have to anymore. Do you Mm -hmm. think maybe it matters more in the day-to-day operations and the kinds of people that you can bring to your operation? The location definitely matters for attracting talent and for employees and even for things like how profitable are you because what are the tax rates in the place that you are and how close to services and complementary vendors are you? But for clients, I think generally speaking, for professional services, the value in a particular address or a particular part of town is a perceived value. And oftentimes, it's a wrong-headed assumption to use the Madison Avenue example. You may be paying eight times as much for services there that if you compared them to a non-Madison Avenue agency, you may not be able to tell the difference or you may prefer the other agencies. So are you getting a better value? Maybe not. So clearly there's a lot of people that are still using what we would call old school metrics to try to qualify themselves, getting the prestigious address or going to certain means they think is what they're supposed to do, kind of the keeping up with the Joneses, no pun intended, (laughs) approach to business. So why do you think this is still a phenomenon? Well, I think it reminds me a little bit of a book called The Guns of August, talking about the outbreak of World War I, where basically they were using the information from the past war to make decisions about the current war. It's a far less dire thing when you're in business where you may have have a person that came up 10 or 15 years ago and they're still using the information from 10 or 15 years ago as a senior partner now to make new business decisions. That may have been less of a problem in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, but in the 90s and beyond, that makes a lot less sense than it used to. And it has implications for all kinds of business, not just the way people... Yep. See prestige. It's like the English in the Revolutionary War marching in in neatly tight rows like you do. And then they all get picked off by the scrappy revolutionaries. May this be a warning to you, red coats <laughs> so of business. when they did it. I know. Do you think that people are staying with what they know simply because it is what they know? 
or because there's an unquestioned belief that it was successful? I think they saw it be successful earlier in their career, and they just stopped learning at a certain point. And you see this kind of all the time, and I think it's sort of the reason why certain people, they stop following fashion trends and they start listening to new music. I saw this stat the other day that people, by and large, stop listening to new music at the age of 33. If you continue to learn and you continue to evolve, you probably won't be in that position. And I think that's true for any business, no matter how old or young. It's especially true if you are in a more structured business that has a sort of journeyman process where you start off in a very junior level and you're working your way up to partner. Don't stop learning as you move into that new senior position and assume that the knowledge that you had from 10 or 15 years ago is still the most relevant to your marketing and business decisions. And let those whippersnappers you know, give you some input. Absolutely. You may not know everything. Yep. It's interesting, though, because some of those World War I old school mentality folks are selling to other of their peers that are World War I and old school mentality folks. So that's, I think, why this persists to some extent. Sometimes it works because it's outdated thinking well, yeah. selling to outdated thinking. Yeah, you have to do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should absolutely use the skills and information of the whippersnappers, but you also have to know enough to know if they're bullshitting you well, and or also, if they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, one is defending turf that you have now. That old school mentality is not your growth path. It may be your defense of share path, but your growth path is somewhere else. So make sure you're nurturing the growth path. Otherwise, you will die. (laughs) Properly, like the Redcoats. (laughs) Yes. So if you're advising somebody and they have a business and they have a limited budget that they can apply towards giving themselves a credibility or giving themselves the qualification, where would you prioritize their resources? Given all the options that we've just talked about, and that can range from web to a physical address to a better social media presence, better positioning on Google Map, maybe, I don't know, where would you place that? We're going to assume this is like a generic industry, because obviously it would depend greatly on well, who your some, audience is. Give me some qualifiers. Well, <laughs> oh. I mean, it depends on who you're appealing to. I mm-hmm. think if you're like an old-timey construction worker, like how nice your truck is could be a qualifier. You know, that's the way people thin slice you. Whereas uh, modern business, I would say most people, the first way they look, if they're anything like me, is check out the website. Maybe check out the social media. Search them, like you said, and you see what people are saying. And then I think there's a whole other aspect to it we can talk about on another show, which is the reputation management sure. and the way people review you and the word of mouth that's out there. But I think baseline stuff, and that's a question I wanted to ask, like what's the baseline at this point, which is maybe an extension of your question. In 2000, having a website was a differentiator. Now it's a baseline. Now does your yeah. website have to be of a certain quality? It has to work. So whether it's a landing page, whether it's a full-blown site, It has to function, it has to load, it has to not be hacked, it has to not be blocked by Google. Those are the basic, basic things. And however much more you can do well on top of that, you should do. If you're a service-based industry or a service-based company, you need to have pictures and bios of who's working for you because that's what you're selling. Mm -hmm. Those people are your product. People are going to be wary of hiring somebody to interact with all the time if they don't know anything about those people. If you're a product-based company, then information about your products has to be everywhere. To your point, Matt, about early in the 2000s, the idea of a brochure was sort of the norm. Personally, when I go to a place and they still have that mindset, it troubles me as far as thinking they don't want to have an outward voice about what they think about things. Yeah, I think there's an expectation for some utility as well, whether it be from content that teaches me something or gives me some value or some functionality or whatever you can give me. Show me your expertise. And to extend on your point, PJ, 
and continue my answer to Brian's question. I think even if you are a product-based business, humanizing your company to that extent is very important. In the social era, it's all about humanizing brands and showing the face and being humble and kind of being out there. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. If you don't know who's behind it, if you don't have a sense for the personality and the values of the brand, it's very difficult to understand why you care about it. And you have to have more contact information than an email address. Whatever your business, whatever your service, subconsciously, if you only have an email address, it sends the message to people, if something goes wrong, you're screwed. You're never going to be able to find us. You're never going to be able to contact us. Forget about serving us with a lawsuit. We are fly by night. And that is probably (laughs) not true, but... That is the message. The world's ultimate skeptic. It's true. Well, to me, it's just you have to contact us on our terms, which is not very customer centric. I don't necessarily think of it that way, but I see why you would make that conclusion. Well, so let me throw this out and put everybody on the spot. Who do you think is doing a good job of this in a general sense, meeting that sort of modern expectation? It pains me to say it. and We've talked about it before and I have a bittersweet relationship with him, but I think Chipotle is a great example. You know, it's one of our like five companies, (laughs) (laughs) but they wear their values on the sleeve, even if they don't necessarily even make sense. I think they owe some burritos at this point. I think so. Definitely. Seriously. They do an amazing job in social. They have a very good personality they're always there to respond. They don't shy away from what they stand for, even though, you know, I have some challenges with that too. I'm not the biggest Chipotle fan in the world, but I think they do a really good job of being an approachable and connectable brand. Gilchrist and Soames, they are a bath product company that's carried online and then in certain hotels. They do a great job of creating a brand voice, of putting out all the ingredients that are in their products of helping you find the products that you want online, which is important because they don't have physical stores that you can go to. So if you don't live somewhere where there's a hotel that you can go check out their products, you have to take it on faith and whatever they tell you online, which is unusual for a skincare and bath product company. They have great contact information. They have great customer service. They definitely convey the, you may have never dealt with us before, but we are a legitimate business that sells good product. It's interesting how the industry sort of defines expectations and then gives people the opportunity to exceed them, Mm -hmm. to exceed the expectations. Brian, what's yours? Mine would be Cool Hunting, which is a Mm -hmm. website that sort of is more of a curator. They've done a great job of transcending being in any place, but also being an authority of global things that are interesting to look at, buy, and read about. I love it because they managed to keep reinventing themselves and still upping the game every time. And I feel like that's such a critical component. Awesome. While we all run to the shower and use our responsible ingredient transparent soaps <laughs> while surfing, cool hunting on our waterproof devices while eating a soggy burrito. That's a really sad picture. <laughs> we'll jump to the next part of our show, which is the out there's and there there's out there's things we found mm-hmm. out on the internet or you guys shared with us that we will now share with you. And there there's condolences for things that didn't go great, that hopefully could go better. And let's start this week with Brian. Brian, what do you got? Mine is an out there to a new clock that is coming out to the market called the Sensor Wake. It is a alarm clock that is designed to emit smells to help get you out of bed. Mm-mm. So <laughs> you could awake to the smell of money, peaches. They have a variety of different scents. Is it all positive? Real. I'm guessing Fire. yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Gas leak. Flatulent spouse. 
<laughs> the pods are 100% recyclable and uh, oh, wow. they can be used 60 times before they run out of juice. Oscar oh. Mayer had tried this previously and they had a one that had <laughs> the weird flavored. <laughs> it was bacon flavored. Oh yes, God. Which, you know, had mixed results about whether people re- really respond to the smell of bacon waking them up in the morning. And again, synthesized bacon may be a little bit less appealing than actual. Why didn't they bacon? just actually put the bacon on the griddle and have it on a timer switch so it turns on and actually cooks and then you have to get out of bed yeah. before it burns? I'm guessing house fires. Yeah, it's probably a big fire. Hazard. If a listener steals that idea in either burns their house down i had nothing to do with it but if it makes a million i won't cut in on that so are you gonna get one of these brian it's not out in the u.s yet but it will be so probably you, you probably import yeah. it what scent would you want i would probably want coffee it's a nice aroma that gives you a hint that it's morning and that's so, actually the greatest reason to have a timer coffee machine is because it actually fills the room with your room i do realize the irony of the uh, you know, yeah ability to just get a timer uh, <laughs> coffee machine but no well but for <laughs> other you, you things said it. like what do you you know hire someone to bring in a field of lavender every morning that's yeah. not yes. gonna work that's, that's what i maybe. do yeah probably what's yeah. wrong with you people <laughs> i just want somebody to cut fresh peaches at the foot of my bed <laughs> There are probably people on Craigslist who will do that for you and may not murder you also. <laughs> right, yeah, here. Stand next to my bed. I've never met you. Here's a large knife. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> on that note, PJ, um, while my, I'm still alive. I know. I'm just imagining like all these bloody peaches. It's terrible. Okay. Peaches will be fine. I, <laughs> phew. Mine is an out there. It is a new app called Dewey Dialer. It was created by some lawyers and some engineers. And the reason it's called Dewey Dialer is because it refers to a DUI or a DWI. The premise behind it is if you are getting pulled over on a traffic stop and you think that you might be arrested for a DUI, you press the trouble button. That takes you to the main application. Seems a step too far, maybe. Maybe they should have eliminated it. Also, if you're legitimately drunk, you're playing with your phone as the police pull you over. There's that. Well, yeah, you'll get pulled over for texting while driving. Then you press contact my attorney now. If you don't press stop recording within 30 minutes of pressing contact my attorney, then the app's company dispatches an attorney to the jail to represent you and your DUI because they assume that you've been taken into custody and no longer have access to your phone, which I think is kind of brilliant. Yeah. Actually, it's a problem that they've solved and it records while you said, contact my attorney. So now there's a recording of everything that you say to the arresting officer, what the arresting officer says to you. It's probably not going to be too long before somehow this is found to be in violation of something but I do like the innovation in it. And I love the idea that it presumes that if you can't turn this off within 30 to 45 minutes, you're unreachable. You need an attorney and they send someone. Yeah. It's an action by absence of an action. Button because is pressed virtually. Should one be arrested? Who knows when you'll be able to call an attorney? Do you have any th- theories on what the problem with it might be? I mean, the component parts of it all seem pretty legit. You can record, you can well, it's contact recording- an attorney. It's recording the officer speaking. And in certain states, you have to have two-party consent to record a conversation. In other states, like Illinois is one, I think, where it's just single-party consent. So I can record a conversation that you and I have, and I can use it later in a legal proceeding. doesn't matter. If we're in a two-party state, if I record our conversation and you haven't consented to that, 
I can't use that conversation in a court proceeding. This is all interesting, but I have an even better app to solve this problem, and it's called Uber. I want to be clear that in no way, shape, or form do I think that drunk driving is okay ever. I do see utility in this app for things other than... Exactly, and that's where my mind went to. Drunk driving as well. Particularly if you are somebody who may have been involved in a domestic violence situation and you now are separated but have shared custody of a child, you go to pick up the child for your designated visitation time and there's an altercation. Yeah, any number of things where you're checking in to say I'm okay and the absence of that check-in triggers some action. Like I think the domestic violence one, that Pizza Hut example is a great one. By the time something bad's happening, you've probably lost your ability to communicate. Right. Well, the first thing somebody, an abuser is going to do is take your phone. Right. So yeah. Cool. Well, let's keep on pressing the OK button on this show for one more segment, and that is my out there. And it's sort of broad and sort of personal. Nebraska, just moments before we recorded, we're recording on a Wednesday today, repealed the death penalty, which was very unlikely, at least from the perspective of the national scene of this type of state Nebraska is and the type of policy this tends to be. I'm not going to get really into the policy aspects of it, but just kind of out thereing the quality of politics as entertainment, I suppose, and as drama and not just frivolity as entertainment can be, but actually meaningful changes in the way the world works. And it really is for me following national and local and state politics, kind of my soap opera. And you start to learn the personalities and just this particular vote today, they passed it. They sent it to the governor. The governor vetoed it. They sent it back. They needed 30 votes. The Twitter sphere, which is another fun part of politics, is following it live and saying, well, these two people have flip-flopped their votes. We're at exactly 30 votes now. We need 30 votes. And then there's one guy is the deciding vote and he's left the chambers and it's just this high drama. And these are parts of politics every day and the results are consequential to everybody's lives in a lot of ways sometimes. So just the quality of politics as something to follow, not only as a source of being a good citizen and caring about things, but as actually a genuine source of drama, it can be riveting. It can also be very boring. The idea of C-SPAN as riveting entertainment doesn't really appeal, but it's there sometimes. You've got to kind of to filter it. Well, it has to be edited down way, way down. To yeah. Be, yeah. It's easy to sort of succumb to the cynicism that everybody's corrupt and everyone's in it for themselves, but it's still pretty interesting to hear what people say and the arguments they make. You have to actually hear those to try to understand where people are coming from. And I, I sort of liken it to high-definition television. Not everybody looks good on it. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that it's well really played. true, and especially in the real-time aspect of things. Everybody says things at one time or another that they, like, two seconds out of their mouth, are like, ah, I wish I wouldn't have said that. It's being held accountable for every single thing that you say and being aware that everything that you say has some potential meaning or symbolism to a variety of different audiences. And that's true no matter where you fall. And the weird angles that by having an open debate like this, that come into the debate and you're like, what are you talking about for some of them? And then also that's really insightful. And just for this particular debate, it was a mix of different unlikely colleagues. You know, it was pragmatists that were doing things for budgetary reasons. There were religious people on both sides of it that were citing biblical reasons why they should have the death penalty or shouldn't. And just watching all of that sort of coalesce into what ultimately is the final vote and watching people that testified a certain way then voted a certain way and have people that changed. And it's just all fascinating to me. And there's you can learn a lot about human nature and 
about rhetoric and about democracy, I guess. It's just interesting. Maybe I'm just a big nerd, but I enjoyed watching that. That's a separate question. Yeah. Not to get all murka, but it's very humbling when you realize that a lot of people in the world do not have that opportunity to see how their government works. And And just how messy it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the cool part of it. The C-SPAN, to your point, the enormous droning on, the, it's like you don't necessarily see the sort of frenzy that happens just before something occurs, unless you happen to be watching at that exact moment. You can start to imagine some of the things that people always like to talk about. If you're paying attention, you can see you know, who's in cahoots with who and who doesn't make much sense. It's all there. It's all interesting. They need better marketing. America. They C- really do. C-SPAN. There's, there's so much going on. The real senators of Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah. Brian, work kind on the logo. Of. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, while we're still living in a democracy, we'll wrap up this show before you vote us out. That's episode 58, the qualified edition. For all the stuff we talked about on the show, including the companies and or sites that we mentioned in the top of the show, you can check out our show page at graphicmachine.com slash ITTT. You can go to a little site called Facebook where we have a thread for every show and we talk about it. That's at facebook.com slash graphic machine inc. You can check us out on Twitter at graphic machine is our agency and at their podcast is this show. We'd love to hear from you there and email us with your out there ideas or there, their ideas or topic ideas. I T T T at graphic In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>